1: and rejoice in the riches of God's grace to us in Christ. That's why we call this program The Riches of Grace. We're happy you've tuned our way today and trust that our time together will prove a real blessing as we continue with the series of studies designed to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. My name is Alex Kurz, and it's my privilege to invite you to join us as Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, brings us another message from the Word of God. Thank you, Alex. And my friend, we're certainly happy to be on the air again today with the wonderful message of the wonderful grace of God found in the wonderful Word of God. I want to invite you to spend the next half hour with us looking at, uh, at God's Word and seeing something marvelous and wonderful about God's grace to us in Christ. In 1 Timothy, chapter number 2, verse number 4, have, have you ever wondered what the will of God is for your life and what God would have you to do in the details of your life on a daily basis. Have you ever wondered what it is God's doing in the world? Uh, look around you and say, what in the world is God doing? You know, and sometimes it seems like He's on vacation. And other times it seems like He's, he's really active. And what is it that God's doing? Well, First Timothy chapter 4, chapter 2, rather, verse number 4, Paul says, and He, he says, who? And, and the who is in verse 3, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, and come into the knowledge of the truth. Notice that there is a statement about God's will for all men, all mankind. Every person, every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet, it's God's will, number one, that they be saved, and number two, that they come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that that people be saved. Now, there are a lot of folks that, uh, that question that. They wonder whether God really desires for all people to be saved. And if he does desire it, then why aren't all people saved? Uh, there's a verse that will help you understand that. First Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 21. You know, anytime you have a, a question, especially a theological question or a, a question about God, you don't, you don't need to go to the books of theology and to the speculations of human viewpoint and human reasoning before you go to God's Word, uh, God's Word, look for a verse in the Bible to explain the, the, the question that you're asking, and God's Word will give you an answer. Uh, I, I remember many years ago in my life as a young Christian struggling with the issue of what, what in theology is called predestination and election. Uh, Some people call it Calvinism and Arminianism. It's really just a a warmed-over version of Augustinianism. But um, it's the idea that, well, God chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. Or does he? And if he does, how does he? And if he didn't, why didn't he? And so forth. And I used to struggle with that issue of the the sovereignty of God and uh, the sovereign grace of God and all those kind of things. One day I discovered in the Bible, took out a concordance, and I looked up the word sovereign and I couldn't find it in the Bible. And that stunned me. Uh, And I I began to look around and I, I found out that the word sovereign and sovereignty, neither one of those words are in the Bible. Uh, Those are theological terms. And so I said, wow, maybe I need to go to the Bible and find out what God says. And, you know, when you do that, light and blessing usually follow. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, Instead of reading books about the Bible, read the Bible itself. I've said to you before, the Bible's the only book, it's the only book you'll ever find in in, in any discipline that when people want to study it, they read books about it instead of reading it. You know, when I I was in school, when you were in school and you wanted to read, and and the teacher gave you an assignment to read a novel, read one of the great classics or something, um, well, you didn't, they wanted you to read the book. Now, you know, I know what you do. You go get the cliff notes so you can read what somebody wrote about it and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't do you any good to go to class having not read the book. I can remember a discussion in high school about uh, war and peace. And some folks hadn't read the book. It was a rather difficult reading for a high school uh, junior. But uh, if you hadn't read the book, you couldn't get much out of it. Well, it's the same way with the Bible. And the Bible is the only book that you'll ever find that instead of reading it, people go read books about it. it. It's just that way. Well, Read the Bible, and you'll find that uh, it gives a great deal of light on the commentaries that people make about it. Colossians one twenty one, Paul says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now, that's a wonderful statement, in it? The wisdom of God was that when the world by its own wisdom didn't know God, it pleased God. Now, here's the, here's the pleasure of God. Here's God's pleasure. Here's God's will. Here is the sovereign free will of God. You see, that word "sovereign" simply means that God is God. Uh, well, duh. Who didn't know that? <laughs> you know, He's God with a big G. All of us little G's, uh, gods, gods down here with little G's, you know, try to make ourselves gods. All us little G's don't don't matter. It's the big G that matters. And sovereign means He just does His will. He's God. That's. The word sovereign isn't in the Bible because it doesn't need to be. It's, it's what the word God is talking about. Well, it pleased God. God's sovereign free will is by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So when Paul says that it's God our Savior will have all men to be saved, the sovereign free will of God is, the pleasure of God is, that by the foolishness of preaching the cross, he would save them that believe. That's why Paul says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes. It's not enough just to know the gospel, know about the death of Christ for your sins, his burial and resurrection. You have to trust it. You have to trust Christ to be the Savior that he died for you to be. And when you trust him, God takes you and places you into Jesus Christ. How does he do that? By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. When you trust Christ, you're baptized into Christ and into his body. Now, that's not a water ceremony, of course. I mean, nobody but but a religious fanatic would think that some physical ceremony that some preacher or some priest accomplished could put you into another person. Can't do it. I mean, just stand there and watch. It doesn't happen. What happens? Well, you just get someone wet with a water ceremony, that's all. Um, The baptism here is one that puts you into Christ and into his body. That's obviously a supernatural, spiritual operation that only God can perform. And then he puts you into Christ. That's the mechanics of positional truth. That's where you get your new identity, because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. All things are of God. Now, that's how a person gets saved, is when they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, then God puts them into Christ. And by the way, in Christ, he says... In, he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in, in Christ, in whom he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. We've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. How did you get in him? You got in him when you trusted the gospel. So that's really not that difficult a thing. Now, I know, you, know, you write me letters or give me phone calls about, about how theology says something different, but that's not the problem. The problem is what does the Bible say? The solution's in what the Bible says. And the solution is that God would have all men to be saved, therefore he sent a gospel message out, and to everyone that'll believe it, well, God saves them. You want to do the will of God in your life? Get saved. And then once you're saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, God has made every provision for you in order to accomplish that. The next verse in 1 Timothy 2 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, one mediator, and uh, the mediator, the go-between between between God and man. Uh, The reason that God wants everybody to be, all men to be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is because the Lord Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to make it possible for you to be saved. And he's the the mediator, the one mediator between God and men. Uh, You need a go-between. You see, God's of pure eyes and to behold sin. He can't look on iniquity. You need someone to go to God for you and uh, settle the account. You need someone who can take God by the hand and you by the hand and bring you together. That's what a mediator does. And the mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the mediator is not angels. You know, there are a lot of folks that want to wanna go into the channeling routine and have, have some kind of spirit creature between them and God and talk to them. Colossians 2 verse 18 Paul says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things, listen, which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his religious mind. The Greeks believed in a hierarchy of supernatural beings who who oversaw the affairs of men and the affairs of the earth. They lived up on, on Mount Olympus, you know, Jupiter and Apollos and Zeus and all those those mythological creatures. And Paul says don't let somebody beguile you by worshiping all that all that mediation of angels between God and men, that idea, because it ain't so McGee. You're 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 looking into things that you haven't seen. And you get vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind, you get this idea of this this religious hoodly do <laughs> in Acts chapter seventeen. Paul is at Athens, the the center of Greek culture, and he he tells the people there he sees they're out with all their gods and idols, and he's got an they've got an altar to the unknown God, and he says him that you ignorantly worship." I'm going to declare to you. And he says, I perceive that you are too superstitious. Now that word superstitious there is the translation of a a $7.85 Greek word. It's a long Greek word, a lot of letters in in that word. And it literally is one word that is a sentence. And the word means you fear more demons than anyone else. And your Bible in English, the way you'd say that is superstitious. To be superstitious is to fear more demons than anybody else. You're too superstitious. And you see this idea of going to angels and having angels mediate. That's just superstition because it doesn't happen. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in the cross. You see, Jesus Christ is the victor. Angels aren't going to help you. God is giving you somebody who is over the angels, the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody else says, well, if angels aren't going to mediate for me, then maybe I'll pray to the dead saints. You know, there's a man in the Bible that did that. Dead saints aren't going to help you. The book of Job, chapter number 5, Eliphaz, in his in his discussion with Job, says in chapter 5, verse 1, Call now, if there be any that will answer thee. And to which of the saints wilt thou turn? But the fascinating thing about the saints in Job 5, verse 1, is that the last verse of chapter 4, he just said, They die even without wisdom. Uh, do not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. That is, the saints he's talking about in Job chapter 5, verse 1, are dead saints. And he says, you know, if you even pray to the dead saints, they can't help you because they're gone. And uh, they're not able to come back and do any good for you. Somebody says, well, if I can't pray to angels and I can't pray to dead saints, I'll pray to the Queen of Heaven. Uh, Well, there's some people in the Bible that did that. Jeremiah chapter 44. In the nation Israel, Baal worship had uh, become predominant in in, in their religion uh, in Israel. And there were people... Who were worshiping the Queen of Heaven? Now I know that uh, you know. You know you, when you read a passage like this, you can understand why there are some, peop- some people, some churches that don't like their people to read the Bible because it tells on them. <laughs> uh, that's, that, well, that's just the way the Word of God is. Jeremiah chapter 44, verse number 14. Uh, Jeremiah has told the nation Israel and their leaders not to worship other gods, and they answered Jeremiah. And they say, But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth out of our own mouth, to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers and our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of victuals, and were well, and saw no evil. But since we left off to burn incense to the Queen of Heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have, have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. And when we burned incense to the Queen of Heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her and did make her cakes to worship her and poured out drink offerings unto her, you see the, the worship? They're worshiping the Queen of Heaven. They're burning incense. They're praying to her. They're having drink offerings. And Psalm four, 16 verse 4 says the drink offerings were of blood. And they're, they're burning wafers They're they're, they're making cakes and wafers in their worship. They have a worship service that focuses on cakes and wafers and drink offerings of blood while they're worshiping the Queen of Heaven. And Jeremiah says, it won't get you to God. Now, that religion prevailed all through time past, all through the Old Testament, prevails up today, will prevail out in the ages to come. But it won't do you any good. It can be the oldest religion in the world. Somebody says, ours is the oldest denomination. Ours is the oldest church. Ours is the one that goes, yeah, it goes way back, way back. Genesis 11, it'll go back too. But it won't do you any good. It won't work. It didn't work for Israel. It won't work for you. Well, somebody says, well, I know what I'll do. I'll do good works. Well, good works won't mediate between you and God either. You see, the Bible says, by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness which we have done has he saved us, but by his mercy. You see, it isn't what you and I do. Paul says to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. When you want to work, pay for your own sins, you know how long it'll take? It'll take you forever. That's why people die and go to hell and in the lake of fire forever and ever, because it takes forever to pay for your sins. It takes an eternal sacrifice to satisfy the eternal justice of an eternal God. No, what you need is a mediator who can do that for you. That's why First Timothy 2 verse 7 says. There's one mediator, verse 5 says, there's one mediator between, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom all. You see, Jesus Christ gave a ransom for you. He went in and paid the price for your ransom. What was that? In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So Jesus Christ went and paid your sin debt with the price of his own blood. He purchased you with his own life's blood. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God took our sin, put it on the soul and the body of his son, and punished him for you. And Jesus Christ, when he died at Calvary, died for everything that is wrong with you. He paid it all. We sing that song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And Paul says he gave himself a ransom for all. That's for you. Then he says to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. The Apostle Paul, the reason that Paul is in the Bible, is to be the due-time testifier of all that Jesus Christ accomplished. Now, the reason that's important is because when he says he gave his life a ransom for all, that wasn't always testified, to be testified in due time. If you go back to Matthew chapter 20, verse number 28, for example. Jesus says the Son of Man came not to minister but to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Isaiah 53, verse 8. Isaiah says, For the for the sins of my people was he stricken." That's Israel. You see, in, in the prophetic program, Jesus Christ was going to die for the sins of his people, Israel. The angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. ...from their sins. He says, I'm going to lay down my life, give my life a ransom for many. And so there are a lot of folks that stop reading right there and say, See, Jesus didn't die for everybody. He didn't taste death for every man. He only tasted death for that certain little group of people called, quote, the elect, who God chose that he would die for. But you see, that's a limited understanding... Thus they have a limited redemption for a limited Redeemer. Paul says, We now know that it wasn't just limited to Israel's program, but he gave his life a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle and teacher of the Gentiles. The whole purpose of Paul's ministry is to be the due time testifier of all that Jesus Christ did at Calvary. Titus chapter number 1. You find the same kind of a passage when he says, "In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but has in due times manifested His preaching, His word through preaching, which is committed to me, according to the commandment of God, our Savior." In other words, God had a plan and a purpose that He didn't reveal until it came time to reveal it, and the 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 uh, channel through whom He revealed it was the ministry committed to the Apostle Paul. Some people question Paul's apostleship. Some people deny it. That's why verse 7 has the parenthesis, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. Some people ignore it. But my friend, the only way to keep the message of God's grace, all that God has done for us through the finished work of the cross, the only way to keep that message clear and plain, and to keep it grace is to follow the ministry that God has given to us in His Word, rightly divided. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 13, that I, I, I before I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus was, was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Can I tell you that that's where you go in your Bible to find the message of life everlasting? It's in the pattern that Jesus Christ gave to you through the salvation and ministry of the apostle Paul. That's why, in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-seven, when the leaders of Israel asked Peter, "Men and brethren, what must we do?" and Peter said, "Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall rece- you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost." That's the reasons that the requirements that Peter gave at Pentecost for salvation were different from the ministry from from the the message that Paul gave in Acts 16.31 to the Philippian jailer who asked basically the same question. So what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Paul had no right to change the instructions that Christ had given to Peter, except that God himself had changed the program and sent Paul out with this new message, this new gospel message, this full, complete revelation of all that was done at Calvary. And now, today, salvation isn't through surrendering your life to Christ, or making Jesus Lord of your life, or repenting of your sins, or praying the sinner's prayer. It's simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and this moment God will save you, give you a home in heaven, eternal life as a present possession, and you'll have His life. And all of your sins will be forgiven, cleansed under the blood of Christ, And that one mediator between God and man who gave his life a ransom for you will be yours. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior personally, do it today. I'd like to give you a free Bible study about how to get to heaven, a little gospel tape that'll help you understand what the Bible has to say about how to go to heaven, how to have eternal life as a present possession, how to have all your sins forgiven once and for all and forever and for sure. To receive your free copy, simply call me here at our toll-free number, 888-535-2300. That's 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you can write me here at the sh- at, at The Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's The Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. My friend, we also want you to know about Grace School of the Bible because we have a we have a rather uniquely designed 3-year Bible Institute program available on an extension basis. Our school is is unique in in several ways. First, we we follow the Pauline design for the edification of the believer in our curriculum. Rather rather than patterning our curriculum after the standard systematic theologies that are uh, used by most Bible institutes and Bible schools and seminaries, we we followed a clearly designed outline and pattern for edification that's found in Paul's epistles. And what that does is it allows students to grow to maturity uh, the Pauline way and, and to quickly be prepared for the ministry that the Lord has for them. Another, another uniqueness of, of Grace School of the Bible is that it's offered on an extension basis through the use of, of video. In other words, we send the school to you rather than requiring you to come to us. And what that does is allows you to enjoy the regular sound Bible teaching and edification in the comfort and convenience of your own home and to fit it into your own scheduling demands and the ministry that perhaps you already have where you are. If you are or you have ever desired to be a serious student of God's Word, why not call us today for a free catalog? That number, again, is 888-535-2300. And let me also say thanks to those who are helping us to keep this program on this station. This is uh, genuinely listener-supported radio, and I hope you're encouraged to know that there are folks in your area who love the Word of God, rightly divided, and who rejoice in the message of grace and the joy of the grace life. My friend, if you don't have a fellowship to attend this week where the message of grace is taught from the rightly divided word and the grace life is clearly proclaimed, call me and we'll put you in touch with a group in your area where you can find that fellowship and encouragement. Our number again is 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you can write me at any time at The Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. And friend, if you're still not sure of salvation, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life as a present possession, be sure to let us know, and we'll be happy to send you some gospel literature that will make the way plain. That number again is 888-535-2300. Thanks for joining us today, and until we meet again this same time and place next week, Maranatha. I want to live Right at Home Furniture. Luxury brands and outlet pricing. They provide the personal touch that's so hard to find at the big box stores. Come see their intimate and elegant store combined with a vast selection of contemporary brands. Right at Home Furniture has President's Day pricing right now for your best look to start 2023. Buy off the floor and have it delivered immediately. Impress your guests with a luxurious home without spending luxury prices. Visit Right at Home Furniture today in Altamont Springs. That's Right at Home furniture.com
0: take the word with you wherever you go with our mobile app the word alexa tune in iheart and odyssey.com am 990 and fm 101.5 the word a bigger and stronger voice for god's word is now here Fifty thousand watts am 990 and fm 101.5 the word wtln orlando where faith comes by hearing Portions of this broadcast hour are pre recorded. Make It Clear Ministries has sponsored this Make It Clear broadcast. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.